Hi, everybody. Welcome along to episode 99 of Percussion Discussion. I hope you're all well out there. Uh, as always, I'm going to ask you to please check out our social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and of course, our world-famous YouTube channel where you can find all of our conversations, past and present, where you can watch as well as listen uh, as there are videos up there. Uh, please subscribe. It only takes a second, and this way it means you don't miss any of the uh, upcoming interviews that we have. Uh, if you'd rather listen on the go, then this is no problem. Uh, all of our conversations are available in podcast form. These are free to download from your favorite podcast provider. So if that's your thing, then you know what to do. Uh, again, if you can leave us a very short review, it only needs to be a few words. It really helps get the word out there. And uh, I would really appreciate that. So thanks. On to today's guest. Um, as you know, this podcast is called Percussion Discussion. We've had uh, plenty of percussionists on who play uh, more in the vein of uh, Latin percussion and pop percussion. Um, this guy is uh, a slightly different performer, um, definitely one of Britain's most diverse percussionists. Um, he's studied classical percussion. Um, he's played for the likes of The Who, uh, Peter Gabriel, uh, he's had his own solo project. Um, he's appeared on many film and TV scores such as Black Panther, Rocket Man, uh, Mission Impossible and Doctor Who. So there's every chance that you've heard his incredible playing. Uh, he uses lots of technology. Um, if you've not had the pleasure of seeing this guy live, please check him out. Uh, he's on tour very, very shortly. It gives me great pleasure to welcome the wonderful Mr. Joby Burgess. So, Joby, thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. Hey, no problem at all, Matty. Thanks for having me on. No, hey, it's it's a pleasure to have you here. And, um, you know, it's kind of a little bit different. We've had lots and lots of drummers on, some percussionists who are maybe more in the, uh, the, the pop and uh, Latin vein. So it's nice to have somebody who is a, a percussion soloist as yourself, you know, so it's a little bit different. So I'm really looking forward to this one. Cool, man. Thank you. We're looking forward to chatting. Excellent stuff. So how's life at the moment? Is it all good for you? Yeah, life's life's been um, pretty busy the last the, the last period of time. Um, an awful lot of uh, just recording sessions, um, various films, TVs and albums. Um, that's kind of been been my world for for, for quite a while now. Um, and uh, less less touring, so um, <laughs> it's kind of it's my my world's pivoted a little bit in 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 recent uh, months and years, um, but in a in a really nice way. So sure. So I mean, I know you're you're talking to us from your studio at home at the moment, which looks a, a very nice space. I know we can only see a small section of it. So I'm <laughs> guessing you're spending most of your time in there. Do you do a lot remotely? Um, I've always done, yeah, I've always done, I've always been interested in recording. I've always done the remote thing. Um, but last, well, two years ago, it kind of, it went from, you know, the odd thing here and there, um, to, to doing an awful lot. So, um, so that was kind of, that was kind of good, but no, most of my, most of my session works at Abbey Rose studios or Air studio. So North London is kind of the, uh, is the, uh, kind of home territory, I suppose, but it's really nice to have this space and, Obviously, it's great to to work in, and when people don't have the budget for a project or there's no studio space, um, can just record anything and send it down the line and send it to anywhere in the world. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's did, to have. did you find that you learnt more about equipment and 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 ways of doing things during the in the in the lockdown? Did you find it helped in some strange way, or were you already really good with it all anyway? I was, to be honest, I was pretty up together with it. I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, I'm a percussionist, um, first and foremost, I'm not an engineer. Yeah. But when I was a kid growing up, I started by sort of songwriting and playing around four track tape recorders before I started playing drums. Wow. Um, I grew up as a drummer, not a percussionist. And I was very late started percussionist. Um, and so the recording thing's always, always been there. And my major elective when I went to, to college to study in London um was electronic music so it was I, I basically wrote and recorded a an entire album with 30 or 40 different musicians on it and that was you know that was you know for my degree that was you know that that sort of thing and it's a skill that I keep learning I'm one of the things I'm one of the things I really love is um having engineers here to my studio um which isn't very often but it's always a brilliant learning experience 
um, just to have people in the room um, try some new techniques, get some new suggestions. But you can kind of learn that stuff all the way along the line. I mean, you go to you sit in a recording session anywhere in the world, and you know you just have to pay attention. You're learning stuff. So yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And and the, the engineers that come visiting, do they like the space? Do they like the acoustic and what have you? Are they- well, it's not. It's yeah. I mean, it's not like it's not a huge space, um, but there's the. There's quite a lot of room, and I've got a kind of vaulted ceiling, um, and it's quite a long room. So it, it, we we spent three days, maybe five or six years ago, just spent spending some time. We emptied out the entire room. It's an old former coach house, so right. for coach horses, you know, when it was built 125 years ago, and uh, we tried just starting off with a vibraphone, just a really one simple tuned instrument, and we span it round and we use some different microphones and different techniques just to try and get a really clean, consistent sound with no, you know, nasty reflections um, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and after about two days, we, you know, we made a bunch of test recordings. We got something we were really pleased with. And the process from there was simply putting more different instruments in place. So we, we took the vibes away and we put uh, a Tyco in there. We took Tyco away, put some toms in there. We took the toms away, put some bits of metal in there. Um, and it's just a, it just then becomes a, a bit of refinement of microphone choice and you know what you're doing with the preamps. Um, it's a bit more time consuming than doing drum set from yeah, sure. from home because obviously uh if i'm doing a, a session you know i'm doing four or eight cues on a movie um then i'm not playing the same instruments in every cue um so i have to keep moving things around but it's a really nice uh basic setup of three or four pairs of microphones which are just all you know straight into the desk um and i just have to make some tweaks and i can kind of get going really quickly for for people well, you mentioned that the vibes were the first thing that you, you tried to, you know, to play about with. Uh, would you say a, a vibes one of the trickiest ones to get to get a decent sound on, or is it just was it just coincidence that? Um, it's well, it's uh, a marimba would be the easier thing to put there, but a marimba's really big instrument, so the vibraphone is just a little bit more easy to move maneuver around the studio. Um, I think for me, the vibraphone of all the different sort of mallet instruments. I play it's the one that's kind of closest to the human voice it's got the most things you can do with it so I mean you 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 can strike it and you can you know play different notes but you can also bow it so you can get long sustained notes it's got a pedal so like a sustained pedal on the piano it's got a faux vibrato so you can it's a bit like a, the way a Fender Rhodes works where the, the the speakers kind of are in in line and out of line in and out of phase so there's got quite a lot of things you can do with it so you can think about you know different elements of the sounds so i think for me whenever i'm playing mallet percussion you know vibraphone and marimba are the workhorses for sure but vibraphone is one that's got more flexibility so yeah i think if you can get a nice sound on that then everything else kind of fell into line quite quickly yeah it makes sense i mean it's funny as i'm sure there'll be a lot of drummers uh, watching this and and things like note lengths isn't something you generally have to worry about if you're playing a drum set is it really but you know when you're playing a tuned instrument especially vibes uh, yeah you know you've got to, you've got to consider that haven't you which is quite cool yeah no absolutely i think it's it's sometimes it's i mean obviously we all we can all play long notes because if we're if we're filling through something or if we're rolling through something to fill up a kind of you know fill up a piece of space then we need to think about where that stops and how we we grow that gesture in and out so i don't think it's so different i mean i it you you just don't have to um yeah you have to think more about the attack on if you're just playing drums but yeah but there we go there's a there's a place for everything isn't there now um you've got a new album coming out um pretty much the end of this month i think you said it was the 30th of september and and a tour starting on the same day so i'm guessing um you're glutton for punishment and uh, i'm guessing did you record that in your own space then well it was kind of hybrid um the the idea originally was to record it down uh, the smaller space uh, studios um, in Hampstead, which is the studio George Martin built, I think in the I think in the seventies, it might be the eighties. It's after it's after Air Montserrat, mm-hmm. so it's probably the eighties. Um, which is a great, you know, it's one of the two main spaces to record in in London, one of the big rooms. Uh, 
but the uh, Air has a smaller studio, Studio One, which I've done an awful lot of work in. I mean, it's a really beautiful space for um, recording um, percussion. It works really well in there. So if you've got a solo percussion session or two or three people, um, it's fantastic room to play. So the idea was always to go there um, and, and do the record. But the project as a whole was sort of blighted by, by COVID. Um, it would have been finished a long time ago, but there wasn't the opportunity to tour. And so we, we didn't really, I didn't really kind of push the people who were writing on the project to get things finished. Cause at the end of the day, it's only a, it's only a record and everyone was having a, a tough time of it. Um, and by the time we got around to getting ready to do the recording, which I did with a guy called Nick Woolidge, who's uh, one of the in-house guys at air, absolutely astounding uh, engineer, mostly working in the, in film music. Um, it's kind of who's who of um, composers that he works for and films that he's done. Um, he, he he was really busy and so was I and the problem that were, that kind of happened in the in the session world I suppose a year ago and it's starting to sort of get a little bit easier was everything was getting booked incredibly last minute so because um, of lots of protocols being in place um, and people playing catch-up um, in terms of getting their projects recorded um, my work was getting conf- well getting offered not even confirmed but offered you know just a few days before um so it might be you know are you free you know tomorrow are you free for five days starting wednesday and it's monday um so it was really hard to commit to a chunk of time and also getting studio time became harder and it's, it's stayed that way you know even getting a studio in london doesn't you know doesn't really matter how much money you've got if there's no space because everyone's booked it there's no space um so given all of that, we decided to find a different formula. And what we did was I recorded the sort of core elements of the uh, the mallets here at my studio. Uh, Nick kind of got involved in how we were going to do that. And then we spent a day uh, at Rack, which is another it's a pop studio in St. John's Wood. So it's kind of around the corner from Abbey Road. And the studio one there, their main studio, um, is a really beautiful room. Um, so we went there and we did we did a, we we cut we did two piece two tracks there complete we did one one live we just did two takes and then you know chose the chose our favorite and the other one we did in a in a in a couple of pieces in a couple of you know a couple of edits uh, working with the composer a guy called Dario Marinelli um, and then we did a bunch of overdubs things from that space to that would sit well on top of recordings I'd made here but all of the tracks have got an electronic component as well so lots of the composers have used some sort of electronic treatment or sampling uh, there's a lot of voices being a songbook um, so uh, all these rather disparate elements were were actually quite easy for Nick to mix because um, you had this kind of backbone of stuff from from this space you had a bunch of stuff that was either done in whole or or parts at rack and then um these other elements from the composers so you had this kind of really strong thread um in terms of the sound world uh so yeah it worked it worked really well i hadn't really planned to do that but because i've been doing so much um stuff from home it seems like it was a sort of sensible way to do and it, it meant that i was able to record the record over the course of three or four weeks while i was just going down and doing other jobs in between as opposed to sort of you know, blocking out three or four days and doing everything. Um, so yeah, it was a it was a it was a different process um, to planned, but it was a it was nice. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So you know, the, the stuff that you do in your own space, do you find th- that you're doing multiple takes, perhaps whether you need it or not? Are you, are you a bit more um, a bit more of a perfectionist? Would you say when you're in your own space, or obviously when you're paying for somebody else's time? How does that work? No, well, it's. I think one of the things that's really useful um, is if, if you've done a lot of sessions over the years, then you sort of know wh- how you know when enough is enough. Yeah. And that can be a really, really useful thing in terms of making your own recordings. If you're engineering your own recordings, I think there is that real danger um, when you start doing that to just go, Oh no, it's not quite right. I'll just delete that. It's not quite on the thing. You have to you have to know when you have to know your limits in terms of maybe the number of hours you're going to record in a day. Um, you have to know your limits in terms of you know 
what what really makes sense. I think one thing we talk about at work occasionally is that, you know, we might be doing, um, we might be tracking some drums um, or, or some, you know, whatever it is on a on a movie score and we're always last the percussion section goes down last so you know the composer will have done their mock-up they know kind of exactly how it's going to go the director's heard it seen it's a picture and then they've recorded you know a week of strings a bunch of brass woodwinds they've had some soloists in piano harps whatever there's loads of synth stuff in there they might have had a rhythm section through it as well and then you get to the percussion sessions mm. And you're doing your thing there and you kind of go, Oh, that wasn't quite that. But you, you also bear in mind that they're, they've recorded, they might have like 200, you know, tracks up. They're watching the picture. There's a load of dialogue on top. Um, and your thing was, was really good. And it fits in perfectly with, you know, what, what the music is um, and, and what's required. So I, I think having had that experience, um, has really helped you know in terms of thinking about well actually that that feels really good that that sounds really good um as opposed to going oh it's this kind of strange bit of perfection we're we're, we're looking for yeah. oh that's interesting because i've often wondered you know because it must be tempting uh you know especially younger guys who were just coming into it i will just keep doing take after take and i'm sure you're going to burn out after a little while of doing that you're going to have to you know, just give it all up for a little while. And, and, and so that's just really interesting. It always fascinates me. Um, I think, now, yeah, I, yeah there's, a, there's an interesting thing about diminishing returns. <laughs> so you can keep on going, but you, 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 you're you not getting any more. You're just getting more versions of, of not, not quite what you wanted. And there's that thing with, it, it's changed a bit in, in, in recent times. Um, you know, people trying to, you know, do studio days, which are nine or more than nine hours a day. I mean, you, you do two or three hour sessions and, you know, if you're really, you know, you're playing a lot of stuff in those sessions and you're really, you know, focused, you're pretty tired after that. And if you then go off and do something else, it can be really, it can be, a, it can be a real, a real push. Having, having said that, having done <laughs> three day, three session days over the last weekend, um, I sort of remember how that feels. So, <laughs> well, you've got to do it when when the work's there. You have to do it, don't you? It's as simple as that. That's, you know? Sometimes you just have to, yeah. yeah. Just knuckle down, get it done. Now, the tour. Are you going to be touring? Is this um, all the pieces from from the new album? Is is that the way it's going to work, or are you going to? Yeah. So the re the record is nine new tracks, seven seven commissioned from different composers, and I wrote two tracks myself. Um, and the, the tour is just the record, nothing else. Well, nothing else at the moment. We haven't done the production rehearsal yet, so we haven't found yeah. out how, how short the show is. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's only, I think it's, it's, only, it's like a, it's an hour, but I, I must admit, I quite like that in terms of, of, you know, a gig, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to go and spend, you know, three hours of the evening. You want to be able to go and have some drinks or have some dinner, you know, see a gig um so i think yeah i think that's probably what we'll do we'll just do just do uh we'll just do it straight through we won't do the album straight through because it, would, it wouldn't make quite a, it wouldn't really make sense but we'll do that collection of pieces in the appropriate order for a for a live show <laughs> yeah and just have a proper intense hour and then that's it done yeah that sounds good and as far as um obviously I, i'm i'm pretty certain there's there's a ton of instruments that you'll need to take along how do you approach setting up on a stage because obviously it's, I'm guessing it's just you. There's nobody else involved apart from technicians and what have you. Do you yeah. you just kind of built into gear or do you have a, a way of looking at that? Well, that's a really interesting question because um, one of the great problems with playing, uh, well, drums and percussion is that we, we we do tend to create this massive barrier between us and the uh, the audience. Um, and I've always... I've always looked for ways around that. And there are a few pieces, solo pieces I've played and the, of which they've been the most successful pieces. There's, there's a piece that I do for just solo berimba, which is this Angolian shepherding instruments. Um, none of us Conchellas used to play it. It was his kind of party instruments. Um, it's just a bow and arrow with a gourd and a stick yeah. and stone. Um, there's a thing that I do for soda bottles, for Nigerian Fanta bottles with electronics. Oh, yes. I've seen it. <laughs> okay, so you know this. Yeah, okay, you've seen this one, and um, and they're really powerful because there's nothing. You know, it's this one small object, and it's this, 
you know, really diving deep into it and just, you know, not putting anything between you and the audience, not, you know, not to say being naked, but it's kind of like, you know, there's, there's nothing else there. And so if you're playing, you know, drum set or if you're, you know, playing, you know, a huge rig of percussion, what you tend to do is you, you know, you get behind the percussion and then you put more stuff up above you and then, and the audience is over there. So they, you know, they're lucky if they can see your face. They're, they're even luckier if they can see your hands um, striking things, which is, and also those are the two things the audience wants to see. So I, I thought really early on about with this project, there's only melodic instruments. And what I've designed is like an L shape with with no instruments at the front at all. Okay. So all the composers um, had to kind of write with this in mind. So on 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 the left side is uh, a very large marimba um, uh, with various bells and gongs uh, mounted above it. Um, but you, if you're sitting in the audience, you can see right down the instrument, and you can see the contact and all of the and all of the um, the instruments. And there's you know there's a kick drum which is kind of stuck out the way with a you know one of those brilliant uh, uh extending pedals um and on the on the fast on the other side is uh is the vibraphone uh, with a thing called an allophone which are these aluminium um sort of discs like kind of ufo discs and okay. uh, kalimba which is a little fun piano and then at the back there's this thing called a space harp which are these very long rods of yeah you rub it in america they call it rods um and it kind of makes this you know semicircle of instruments which i sort of inhabit and it but it means that the, you can always the audience can always see what's going on but they can also see you fully in terms of what you're you're doing so they can see the paddling they can see you know the stick you know the sticks going up and down they can see the the changes of mallets they can see often you have to move across you know from one side to the other or from instrument to instrument so just try to really think about how how that was as a presentation um as opposed to just seeing a wall of gear um where you can't really see anything oh, do you remember um do you remember eric delaney that yes, crazy of course. <laughs> I remember seeing him. I've seen him a few times, but I saw him as a kid. I think it was uh, somewhere, probably in Bristol, and he, right. you know, the world's smallest big band, wasn't it? And he had, he had, you know, he had all, he had all the jokes, and he had everything. But he also had the drum set, big double bass drum drum set with all the toms, timpani, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, timpani. But he had it. But the drum set was on this on this riser, so it went round. So it all went dark, and then the whole thing went round. So you could actually see. You can actually see what was going on, and it was—it's—it's not—it's not that thing because on the screen we can, you know, we can. It's nice when we're watching a video, we can see what someone's doing from above or from the side or whatever. But don't necessarily want to go to a gig and watch a screen always. Um, so yeah, that was kind of, for this project. That was kind of the the thinking to kind of create this one setup where it was fairly open and people could kind of get a good look at what was going on. Oh, that sounds amazing. Well, that's, it sounds really exciting, that. And there's one question I have to ask. Obviously, um, you know, you've got, I think you said, seven pieces commissioned. Yeah. Um, how how do you go about, I'm assuming you'll learn all the repertoire. There won't be any uh, any music stands on display, or do you, do you kind of sneak a few in, or how, how does that work? Well, some of it's really hard, so uh, I'm not going to, you know, it's not all going to be memorised, no. Um, <laughs> and also... I mean, I'd like to. That's always kind of a nice. But I mean, the thing is that the music stands are the worst. If you if you have got any bit of sheet music, then um, that's always even more problematic. Because if you've got an instrument and then you've got a stand, that tends to go between you and the audience as well. Mm. Um, but no, I mean, the, the album I recorded last September. It was mastered. It was mixed and mastered over Christmas. Um, so I've actually just started relearning the piece <laughs> so the last week or so, uh, ready to take them on tour. So um, we made some videos at some point last year as well. We made some live performances for Cambridge Music Festival, who were one of the people who helped fund the project. So they they commissioned the pieces. The idea originally was the first gig would be with them. Sadly, then happened. So we made some videos for their online festival, which they did. I think it was probably last December, I think, something like that. So we made some videos for them. Um, and a lot of those videos are uh, coming back out now, so you can watch those on online as well now. Um, um, so it's kind of been, yeah, it's it's a 
bit of a process but yeah I'm, I'm relearning things now I've I spent actually I spent today <laughs> relearning one of the pieces that I wrote because I, I couldn't work out what I'd written so <laughs> so I mean this is one thing that's always fascinated me with professional players you know uh, be it percussion or any other instrument uh when you're on stage and you're on your own you know and you've got um an auditorium full of people watching you do you use your music purely as um just you know a safety net or are you actually what because it never looks like that you're you've got your head in the part you know it always looks artistic sounds great and i'm just yeah. wondering how much are you actually are you just using it for just to remember odd little sections or are you actually following it all the way through no i'm not following it all the way through okay. Uh, okay. i mean it's more of a it's more of a you know it's kind of an aid i mean i think music in general is a written music is certainly a roadmap mm. um I mean, I spend a lot of time reading because um, uh, not all, but, you know, the majority of sessions I do, there are charts and we're sight reading. And, you know, in London, first and second takes are kind of the thing. That's why that's why America comes. Um, so because we're, we're quick, we're known as being really quick here in London. Um, so, you know, in that instance, you really have to have your head down, but you always, you know, you, well, you have to have your head you know, you have to have your focus on on the chart and take that in. But I think once you've learned things, you know, once things have gone in, you, it's more of a, you know, just a, just an aid, an aid to 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 kind of keep things there. I mean, I'm not, I'm the, I'm doing a tour in the UK and it's like five shows, and the next shows that I have doing this project. I mean, these are the first shows I've done in 2022, which is bizarrely unusual for me. Um, but that's you know, just having pivoted my career a little bit, um, are in, in Vancouver in January. So I don't, you know, I don't, I can't spend, you know, a week getting everything by memory and then doing five shows because economically that would break me. Um, because <laughs> uh, there are other bits of work I have to go and do. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, things kind of go in sometimes they sometimes things just go in and they stick uh but there's a there's some of these pieces there's an awful lot of dots um and there's a bit there's you know there are some bits of text as well there's one where i actually sing using a vocoder i sing the i well, sing I, I sing um <laughs> i deliver the vocal <laughs> on top of the marimba so i'm playing this quite choppy marimba thing um and then delivering this vocal about it's a piece about species, about our species, about the um, population increase um, across the last three or 400 years. Um, and just kind of getting everything is, would be, would be too much, but yeah. So it's kind of, you know, it's just, just there. I mean, I think um, everyone, everyone does it. I think it's a, uh, it's um it's just one of those things. Yeah, we need to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm certainly not knocking it because as a reading drummer, I uh, I'm terrible. If there's a part there, I will look at it regardless. Oh, okay. I know it. I can't take my eyes off it, and and it's it becomes more than a safety blanket. It's it's gospel, you know, right. which is really really bad. But that's just the way I've kind of done it over the years. And it, uh, it, it's quite interesting because you think about a lot of you think about drummers, and I think about a lot of the players. Because I grew up as a drummer, a lot of the players that I, I sort of loved, you know, people like Gad and and Vinnie Colaiuta and you know someone like Kenny Aronoff, who who goes on about writing charts, yeah. Um, and it's it's kind of one of those really essential skills. And if you're if you're doing sessions, you you're not you're not there to spend the time doing six or eight takes. I mean, most most really fantastic musicians will go in and have a listen. They'll work out what they're going to do and they'll need some sort of, you know, roadmap as it were to, to, to find their way through the music. Um, so yeah, all the guys have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's good. That's encouraging. I mean, it sounds like it's going to be quite an exciting experience for yourself. As you say, having this unusual uh, setup with nothing between you and the audience and, you know, first time playing live in 2022. Are, are, you, are you excited about it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, I'm working. I'm, 
weirdly, I'm working on a different project for the, the days immediately before the first gig, which isn't ideal, but it's just how it's fallen. Um, so, yeah, I, I am excited. I, I am really excited. And it's it's been weird not playing, not playing live. I, I, I did, you know, when I started working, you know, playing live was the thing that I did, you know, 100 gigs a year or whatever it was. And over the over the years, things have shifted and I've done more recording and less touring, although the touring was always, you know, pretty nice. And it was kind of, you know, one or two weeks tour was long for me. I mean, the longest tours I've, I've ever done are three weeks. Um, so I've never kind of gone on the road for six months doing one thing. Um, and uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be nice to kind of go back to it I, I sort of. I, I think I've missed it, but I'm not entirely sure. But the I, the, the few things that I did last year, I found very weird. Um, I found them, I found them, you know, not hugely enjoyable, which was which was strange. I'm, I'm not really sure if that was a mixture of what the of what the projects were, or um, if it was just the the way that the audience the audience was at that time. It was you know people kind of coming back to it. Yeah. It felt a bit different. Um, so yeah, no, I'm looking for I am looking forward to it a lot. Yeah, oh, I'm not sure I'm not sure I'm looking forward to sitting in a van, but you know, there we yeah, go. Well, that's, you can't you can't have one without the other, unfortunately, <laughs> can you? You know. So uh, if you don't mind, Joby, let's take us back to kind of your early memories of music. I mean, forget drums and percussion for now. What what's the let's let's go back a little while. Uh, oh, so I suppose my 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 first love was. Um, was uh, W.H. Smith's in Wiltshire, um, buying seven-inch singles of all things pop. So like 1986, you know, everything that was big in 86, <laughs> it's all that sort of yeah. stuff. That was, uh, that's what I grew up, grew up um, listening to, first of all. Um, but I was really lucky because I, you know, I grew up in a household of, of music and I was exposed to this really wide array of things. So my dad had this amazing record collection and it went for everything from, you know, Miles Davis and uh, Milt Jackson, you know, modern jazz quartet, you know, all the way back to, you know, Mozart operas. And, you know, he was quite into uh, um, modern vocals, people like Leonard Cohen and um, Eurythmics and stuff like that. So all that, you know, music was a really big thing in the house. My parents weren't musical at all. Um, yeah, so it's kind of kind of weird, um, kind of you know, really diverse mixture of, of stuff that that I was sort of brought up in, and I suppose I I suppose I kind of went the usual route. I mean, I I started playing rock and roll drums when I was about twelve, and I got quite into jazz quite quickly. Um, used to play a lot of of big band stuff, and 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 also sort of trio and septet stuff as well, and then percussion came along a bit later i mean because i could play drums it was always oh can you play in this thing and maybe you could play this thing that's not the drum set but it's you know a bass drum or it's a snare drum or you know there's this thing called the glockenspiel can you play a few notes on that well yeah it's a bit like playing drums but it's not but there was a piece of music that um a friend of mine graham fitkin wrote called hook which is this thing for four four marimbas with roto toms and kick drums it's kind of influenced by chicago house music it's, it's a piece from the early nineties. Um, and I remember buying that on a, on like a sampler album of, of kind of new, uh, new music. So it will be in the section with, you know, Michael Nyman and Tangerine Dream and, yeah. you know, you know, craft work. It's kind of that, yeah. that sort of section. Yeah. And I was like, I've got this thing. I was like, it was like two, two quid. It was like the sampler of this new label. And it was the first track on there. I went home and was like, wow, this is really cool. Cause it's just got four to the four, four to the floor bass drums and this very choppy house music sort of marimba writing all in unison. So it's kind of, you know, it's this really big, um, big sound. And, you know, that sort of really, opened my ears up to something different and i you know went and got some lessons playing the marimba and and um i suppose the, kind of the rest the <laughs> the rest is history because i almost you know didn't uh, i then went straight to almost straight to college mm -hmm. you know playing you know on a, on orchestral on orchestral course as opposed to going you know playing jazz drums and then i sort of i'd fallen into things like frank zappa and and Varese, so quite modern experimental music. I mean, Zappa's obviously a rock and roll guy, but he was really into writing 
really out there, you know, very difficult music as well. And the beginning part of my career was playing some of that sort of fly shit music. Um, Have you ever attempted the Black Page? Yeah, I've played the Black Page, not for a long time, but yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Achievement, that. Nice little gentle sight reading. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously, uh, had you had, uh, obviously, you know, with a tune, obviously you're reading melody, had you had piano lessons or something at an early age to help with this, or was this something that all happened at once? No, I, I did have piano lessons when I was a bit younger, but I was terrible. I was a really terrible pianist, and I still am. Um, <laughs> so, so no, um, the re- reading music came from from learning drums, really. Um, which and I, and drum music, I think drum music's it's a it's a kind of great way in because it's it's almost it's slightly it's slightly more simplistic to read. I mean, because you've you've only got you know you know, you start off, you've got four drums. Okay. So there's one in each space and there's some, you know, some choice about, about the crosses, what they, what they represent. Um, and obviously when you go to mallets or, you know, whatever it is, there's just more notes. So there are more things to, to kind of find on the, on, on the music, but it's, I think it's a bit like anything. It's just, you, there are patterns that, you know, the way that music is constructed. I mean, every, you know, most most of the music I play on mallets, you know, you you have it, you look at it and go, oh, that's fine. That's just C major, or you know, it's A major, and then it's going to this minor key and blah blah blah. And it's it's loud, it's soft, it's fast, it's slow. You know, I need to use the mallets in this way. Whatever. It's a bit like when we look at a, a chart on drums and you go, well, it's you know, it's two and four and a bit of fried egg at the end, and it's that's it. <laughs> um, it's not. I don't. know, It's kind of. It's just, I suppose. I mean, music's just like a, it's just like another another language which we've all learnt. So, yeah, absolutely. So, obviously, you've gone to. Was, did you say it was Guildhall? You went. Yeah, I was at the Guildhall um, yeah. in the nineties, which was a great, great place to uh, to meet. I met some amazing people there. So, um, yeah, that was cool. Good and, and obviously, you, you study. I know I mentioned the classical word earlier on when yeah. we were up there, and it was a it was a wry smile. Now. You, you understand what I mean? They're classical percussion <laughs> instruments, aren't they? And you need to learn the, the appropriate, the correct way. I'm, I'm the worst tune percussionist on the planet, as anyone who's ever heard me will uh, will back it up. But you know, I'm I'm always in in awe of people like yourself who have that skill. I mean, was there ever any intention that you were going to be um, a, a section member in an orchestral percussion team, or was it always were you always going to be a solo percussionist? You're going to be your own man. Well, I, I, no, I don't. No, I don't think so. I mean, my interest. Well, I did when I first graduated. I did. I did a number of different things. I took on some teaching commitments, mm-hmm. um, mostly teaching drum set. Mm-hmm. Um, I was doing. I was depping on a show at the National Theatre, which was really free. Um, there was six. Us. Bosco de Lavaro was the percussionist, oh, and. Wow. Okay. And Simon Limbrick was the guy I was dapping for. And that was kind of, you know, it was African balafon and, you know, steel pans and a bit of vibraphone and a bit of, a, you know, waterphone, you know, effects and stuff. And that, so that was kind of almost improvising um, for two or three hours. And um, I had my own my own duo project with an oboist, which was kind of fairly out there, experimental sort of, you know, written free form music. And... Um, some of the other things I was offered to do were to, was to play with the BBC Symphony Orchestra, um, which I did as an extra for about 18 months. And um, so I got to go and do lots of amazing, you know, full on orchestral concerts, you know, quite mo- more modern stuff. So, you know, things like I got to do stuff like Stravinsky's Prochushka, which is, you know, 100 years old now. So that was about the oldest thing I was allowed to do. Um, you know, and that was really playing in an orchestral section. Um and I really enjoyed that experience. You know, we went all across Europe and, and we worked with Pierre Boulez, very famous uh, French um, composer and, um, you know, doer of good things. He, he built a, a huge electronic music studio in Paris in the 70s. And um, I, I, I really enjoyed it, but I, I did always feel like, you know, I was one part of 100 and 
10 people sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, what that experience really taught me was that I didn't really want to be one of 110 people. I wanted to be one of something a lot smaller. So I sort of then did a lot of chamber music for, I don't know, the, the, the kind of coming years. Did a lot of work with my old percussion group, Ensemble Bash. We toured a lot with... Uh, Joanna McGregor, the pianist, Stuart Copeland, yeah. um, for a lot, and Nanavas Conchelas, various different people. Um, and that was also, you know, that was like kind of four percussion with other guests. And that was, you know, so it was always getting smaller, but you, you'd be making a lot of the artistic choices and um, thinking about those things. And I, the solo thing really came out of um, a project called Power Plant, which is a project I formed in. 2005 we put out a record a couple of years later and it was kind of it was electronic it was kind of electronics and percussion and the percussion was really small there was like a kind of half drum set a few sort of found objects this cool electronic instrument called a xylosynth which is built here in in england in leicester by a guy called will wernick and it's kind of it's like a it's like a synth, but you play it with mallets. So you know you can play pitches and you know you can play soft synths and samples with it as opposed to you know sounding like a marimba. And it means similar you to a play... mallet cat or, or yeah, it's like a mallet cat, but much much better. Okay, because uh, <laughs> it's not made of bits of rubber. Um, <laughs> it's it's got it's like it's got wooden. It's like it it feels like you're playing a real instrument. It's got these wooden keys, yeah. um, really beautifully crafted. Um, and uh, so that that sort of project was originally myself with a video artist and a sound engineer and a string quartet. And that obviously was quite expensive as soon as we went out of the UK. So the string quartet didn't come a lot of the time. So we had to find some more bits of repertoire. So that became a kind of a trio project to go out. And uh, yeah, then a few projects down the line, it was kind of, you know, I did some things that was, that was just myself and electronics. I suppose the electronics for me is the, is the binding thing. I, I don't go on, I don't really go on stage and play like totally solo. I'm always using some sort of electronic treatment. And in fact, in this, on this new record, there's one, there's one track which I play, you know, with with no nothing more than just like a delay. So it's it's uh it's just the marimba playing these kind of long tremolos into a delay unit, and then that's the result. That is, you know, that's that's the piece. There's nothing more complicated than that. It's just one one shape. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I suppose it's it's a bit like I think it's probably like most people's careers. You know, things things come along and you know, you get, you know, you, you get known for doing one thing and, and you, you get asked to do more of it. And if you put yourself into that sort of sphere, then that's what happens. Um, yeah. So I didn't really, I didn't really set out of any, any, any great, great plan. I've just always done, I feel very lucky, but I've just done the things that people have invited me to do. Um, and by saying no to some things, that's kind of, that's kind of, you know, that's the choices you make, I suppose. So, so it's kind of uh, an organic process where you found yourself. Now it's just happened, and 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 that's this is where you want to be, which is which is amazing, really. So, um, yeah, 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 it has. I mean, it feels really nice. I, I, I suppose for me, the most in, the the the, the, the the, the ongoing relationship is mine with with the writer or the, the composer or the producer irrespective of where i'm doing a a solo project and recording and touring and commissioning or if i'm going to the studio to work on a tv show or whatever the interesting thing for me is that dialogue that bit of conversation with that person to create something and what what i what what thing that i might bring that will you know make the make the 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 end product as as interesting and unique as possible people are often after you know the newest sound or what haven't you done on anyone else's record what haven't what what you know what what instrument haven't you played on someone's film uh i mean that's kind of people are often wanting you know that new thing which, which boundaries can you push yeah yeah totally yeah do you know, you've just jogged my memory when when you said ensemble bash with Stuart Copeland. I know yeah. he he, uh, he talks about that quite a lot in his in his book, doesn't he? Uh, if, if you've read it, I don't know if you have or not. I haven't read Stuart's book. No. It, yeah, he mentions ensemble bash in it. And um, were the gigs in Italy? 
Um, was it yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, so we it we like did a fun the, gig. It was an amazing. It was a brilliant few years, actually. I think it was like early noughties. And um, the first show, the first show I ever did was Stuart. It was it was a it was a double header in London. So it was it was Stuart's a collection of Stuart's film music and. Um, uh, I mean, nothing, no, none of the police stuff, but it was kind of a collection of film music and TV stuff and other, just other bits that he'd written along the way. And with a small kind of an orchestra, it's like 15 pieces, kind of tiny, but then four percussion as well. Um, and then in, in the first shows we did, the, 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 the support <laughs> was Bill Briefer and Earthworks. Oh, wow. Okay. Now we're talking. <laughs> yeah so it was kind of this, this weird double header of bill briefed and earthworks was only like a four piece and then Stuart with 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 his band his band which was supposed to be like 20 people yeah um came in afterwards and then we in the, i think in the autumn we went to italy and we did four or five shows we recorded this record called orchestrali but we used to open up we used to open up so bash the quartet used to do the first 25 minutes and then um, we'd be joined by the rest of the band and Stuart and would play all of his music. And yeah, it was a really, a really beautiful time. So, um, yeah, fun memories of, of Italy. We did lots of tours there with Stuart. Oh, amazing. Just incredible. Now there was one thing I, I don't really write questions down, but, uh, more... <laughs> but you wrote one down. <laughs> well, bullet points more than questions. Okay. <laughs> and, and obviously, uh, you mentioned uh, the piece Fanta. Okay, now if if anybody watching or listening um, haven't uh, seen it, had the pleasure of seeing this, can you just explain a little bit of how it works? Because it's 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 incredible. <laughs> is, is the only way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um... This is a piece that was written for me in the, I don't know, 2006 or seven. A friend of mine, Gabriel Prokofiev, uh, who's a producer and composer. Um, we were sort of doing our own things in different bits of London at the same time. And we were like, oh, we must do something together. You know, this feels like a cool idea. Um, so he came up to my my studio and uh, we had this long conversation about music and drums and, you know, what he might be interested in doing. And just as he was about to leave, he said, oh, what's that glass fountain bottle? doing on your you know it was in you know like there's percussion instruments here there was obviously a glass fountain bottle there and i had this nigerian fountain bottle because it's serrated so you can use it like a guiro like a uh, scraper so i just have one in my bag all the time uh in the, in the toy bag and he said oh i've been to tanzania and i've seen people playing um you know fountain bottles but like a cowbell you know just banging them with a wooden stick or a metal stick so oh, okay cool well yeah, why don't we do a piece for a, a Fanta bottle? So um, using using two, it uses two full bottles of Fanta. So and it, it's this kind of larger um, Nigerian size. And the first half of the piece, you use a metal beater, a small metal beater, and you effectively do everything you can to the bottle to, to produce sound from it. And also at the same time, I'm using a, a looper to kind of uh, record myself and sample myself. And then I'm using the laptop to process the sound and filter the sound. Um, you can obviously you can strike it, you can rub it, all those sort of things. But one of the things that's really cool is if if you take a glass bottle um, that's full and you tap it, but then you you move it across, so you you turn it to the side, the liquid in the top changes, so the pitch of the bottle actually changes. So then you can play little bits of melody. Um, so that was kind of the you know wow. Um, so we made this piece. It's like seven minutes long, um, and about halfway through, you put the bottle down you open it up and you play it in a whole different way. So uh, I'll let, if you haven't seen it, it's, yeah, there's a couple of different video versions online. I um, mean, you can work out how many things you can do with a fountain bottle. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's on your YouTube channel, isn't it? I think that's where I've, I viewed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did a, we recorded it. There's a really nice, there's a, quite a recent one, which we did during COVID, um, which was shot. I think we, we did a bunch of uh, pieces down in Oxford in a theatre in Oxford. So um, there's a really nice kind of fairly recent version of that piece there. And it's got a beautiful video as well. So 
uh, Kathy Hind is a uh, visual artist that I've worked with for many years, and she created all this beautiful video um, using stuff from an orange factory in in uh, I think it's I think it's from Brazil. It should probably be Spain, really, and that's where oranges are from. Um, and then she got loads of old Fanta. Um, adverts from the 70s and right. 80s so they sort of appear later on in the, in the piece as well so it's kind of got this lovely sort of retro sort of video that accompanies the the performance as well so yeah it's nice. an, an incredible piece has anybody from Fanta seen it do you know if you had any correspondence from anybody I, I, I haven't had the uh, the pay I haven't had the uh, the, the check no uh, <laughs> my lifetime supply of Fanta who knows um, I'm not sure I do <laughs> <laughs> You know, something that interests me, and that is uh, when somebody composes something like that for you, I mean, a Fanta bottle isn't your standard percussion instrument. How the hell is that notated? How do you, how do you take the composer's uh, wishes, if you like, and, and yeah. bring them to life on something like that? Well, that that particular piece, because there's so much electronic processing, yeah. the, the the score is very um, it's quite it's quite loose. Just in terms of you know, he, he, he there's a motif and a gesture which you do, and then you sample it and you go on to the next one and you build the piece. Um, I suppose a bit like in in the jazz world, with the way that with that that piece and the it's a whole suite of movements we're using different instruments we did in the end so that sort of grew into a bigger thing um it's when you when we got down and made the recording that sort of fixed it you know that's that's the final thing and i think because you know i toured it for maybe a couple of years from before we we got into the studio and did the album um a lot of things have sort of changed Uh, the the way that the audience reacts reacted to the piece um you know made me do things in a different way and I'd, I'd found new things i could do and uh yeah so it's kind of you know it's 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 a collaborative a collaborative thing i mean gabriel wrote gabriel wrote the wrote the material but uh certainly there's a there's a lot of input from from myself as the performer um but for example that piece which is uh, became a it's like a half hour suite for global junk so it yeah. starts with a, an oil drum. There's some plastic bags. Uh, there's a packing pallet. Goes in a forklift, wow. which you made with some sort of kind of um, sort of ropey xylophone, I suppose. And um, I don't, I don't need to follow a score for any of that, which is great. Um, but I can. It's just moving from gesture to gesture. Nothing's really totally locked in. So from night to night, that that can flex a bit, which is cool as well. Um, but if anybody hasn't seen it, please check it out because um, you'll be knocked out by this. You really will. It's like nothing you've probably ever seen before, uh, you know. And 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 I guess I don't know. I've never seen those particular bottles. How the hell do you get those? Do you get them shipped over or something? Or well, no. I mean, I used to. <laughs> I, I I must have picked. I've picked those up in Africa, and yeah. you can buy it. In, you can buy it on the pier in in Los Angeles as well. Ah, okay. I remember buying it there. Weirdly. Um, the Mexican bottles are different, annoyingly. Um, but Gabriel lived um, in a little bit of North London where there's a big African market. So it's quite easy to get a few, but they've become quite hard to get. Um, so after a few years of, you know, buying a crate of 50 at a time and flying them around the world, you know, from you, um, I bought one of those beer opening, bottling, rebottling kits. Yeah, yeah, so you can actually, you don't have to, you know, open a brand new bottle of Fanta every time because you sort of need one for sound check just to make sure it's going to work. And then you need two for the piece. So I, we first went to, I think the first gigs we did after the album was was done, the album's called Import Exports, um, were in the States. We did a little run in the on the East Coast starting at um, Le Poisson Rouge, um, which is kind of opposite the Blue Note in, in New York. And um, we... <laughs> we took kind of 10 or 12 bottles with us and then we also we did we didn't have anything left to do with them so we you know we kind we of gave them away at the end of the last gig on tour but yeah we sort of had to find a better way to to kind of get around the world with these bottles <laughs> and obviously a bit precarious using glass bottles have you ever broken one yes nice on stage I can, yes <laughs> it happened once it happened once and it was 
Uh, so it was, a, it was a while ago. And obviously, I think refilling bottles means that the glass gets struck more times. And yeah, uh, yeah it, it sort of there's one there's what there's one moment early on in the piece where you, you gently push the two glass bottles together, kind of like claves. Yes. I mean, you, you're not doing this, but you're just very gently making this kind of like slightly kind of knocking sound. And then one of them just exploded. And I mean, the audience thought it was brilliant. Uh, I, I was less convinced, not least because my, my my laptop, which does all the processing, was a sea of Fanta. Oh dear. Yeah. And weirdly, the laptop was fine. A bit crunchy with the keys. Yeah, yeah, a bit sticky. Um, but it, but it, yeah, it was fine. But it, it, it works. I mean, it's had a little pause while we sort of things out on stage and I won't have found something else to wear. Um, but yeah, got through that show. <laughs> that's about the worst thing that's ever happened, I think. <laughs> now, look, I know we've been, it's it's almost been an hour. Well, it has been an hour already. And uh, I, I told you 40 minutes, but there's one more thing I'd like to ask you about. Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, uh, in in the early dark days of COVID, I know it's still around, but thankfully it's more of a, it's taking a back seat now. You did um, uh, a, a virtual marimba choir um, with, I think it was 200 and, yeah, I don't know how many players, okay. 200 and something <laughs> from all yeah. around the world. Now, a beautiful uh, piece of music, which I've heard many times, is Eric Whittaker's Sleep. And now the thing that fascinates me here, uh, it was stated there was no click track used. How Correct. how how does how how do you even approach that without a click? Because I've sat and thought about this and thought I, I just don't know. I've no idea how how you'd even how. <laughs> yeah. Well, excuse me. It was yeah. It was kind of it was kind of a weird project um, for many reasons. Obviously, the world fell to pieces, and um, I was really taken with. Do you remember those images of? Um, some of the people in Northern Italy singing to each other yeah. um, from different blocks of flats yeah. uh, uh, from uh, across, because they were all confined to their rooms. And it was, it's one of the first places in Europe, particularly where, where that happens, the, the lockdown happens in sort of early March. And I was like, Oh, and people started going, Oh, what is going to happen here? And what are we going to do? And I was like, oh, well, I just, I made these arrangements of Eric, some of Eric's music and just recorded them recently or record, had recorded them the year before. I was like, well, perhaps we could do something with that. And um, Eric actually created virtual projects 10 years ago. So he, I mean, he's kind of like the the godfather of virtual music making. He's, he's done it. He, he actually did a virtual project during, um, during COVID as well. And I think, I mean, it's, it's a vocal thing, so you only have to sing. So it's it's a lot more, the logistics are much easier. But I think he had like 18,000 people take part in his, I think it was number six or seven that he did. And um, and obviously, you know, there's a whole, you know, ship they built um, to, to, to to work on it. Uh, but I was like, well, we, we, we could do this. Um, the, the, the thing about not using a click track was just to try and make it a bit more human. Um, so what I did was um, I, I had a, I had a demo, which I had created myself using some of the virtual um, sort of soft instruments that I've created. Um, and it's got a lot of flex in it. Cause I didn't, when we, when we made our, our recording, which we did in this beautiful church in London, we didn't use a click and we just sort of, we, we sort of, pl- we rehearsed it and then we played it and, you know, we got a really nice sounding take and we did whatever edits we had to do and, and, you know, got a really nice sound, but there's lots of ebb and flow to it. So I mapped out a click for myself okay. as a reference. And then I created a video um, a conductor's video. So I, I just literally stood um, in the studio, you know, against the, one of the walls, put a video camera up and I conducted, you know, I'm not a conductor, but I do love, I do love having a go. And um, so that was I, 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 due to the click, basically. That was, so that was me listening to the mock-up yeah. to a demo version with a click track and then me um, kind of conducting to that thing. And then the, the, things that the things that we made for people to play along to because it's kind of an issue with copyright on the music so we what I, I i actually made all of these things i can't believe i i made all of these things but i made a little video which was basically me conducting 
And then underneath, you'd have the bit of sheet music, which you'd have to play at the time. So there were four parts. So you might you, you could pick which part you wanted to play and you could you could practice it as many times as you want. You just stuck all the videos on YouTube and you just watch you watch me you'd have the ensemble performing the whole thing so you could feel like you're a part of it and it was just a really it seemed like a really nice way to do it so all those you know young people and you know some professionals and who had you know who had an instrument but no one to play with because everyone was locked locked in at home um they could have this kind of music making where you know, they could learn this, their line, this new bit of thing. They could use whatever, they didn't have to use a marimba. They could use any instrument they wanted. Um, I even encourage people to make a bottle phone, which is just a bunch of tuned bottles. And um, you, so you'd, you'd, and you'd have this experience of, you know, kind of working with me, I suppose. Um, you, you'd have to follow, you'd have to watch me in order to get everything in the right place to get your offs and get the starting points and things. Um yeah, and it works. Yeah, it works brilliantly well, and loads of people from all around the world. I think it's like forty something countries people put videos in from. Um, they they sort of all came back, and uh, and then the, the 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 horror of how we're going to put all that together <laughs> dawned upon me. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> but there was like there was kind of like three weeks where people were doing their their bit, you know, making their recording, making their video, and then there was three weeks of fairly intense. Um, production i was lucky to have a, 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 a three friends who who did an awful lot of very impressive work to to put that put that final video together so yeah if you haven't seen that yeah it's a it's a lovely lovely um i won't say memento but that's probably not the right way it's just a lovely thing that we made at yeah. that time <laughs> it's you know the results are stunning aren't they and something to really look back on and be proud of that you know that you've you were at the helm of it all and yeah, I, th- I think it's I think it's fabulous. But the the no click thing has always fascinated me. I thought, how how does it? But now you, it makes sense. Now. The, the click, yeah. The, the, uh, on that particular video, I mean, I, I do. I mean, I spend most of my time working with a click track, but often asking it for it to, to the volume to come down. There was one experience I had which was which was really exciting. Maybe I don't know ten years ago, we did the music. The you know when you go when you go to the cinema and you see the adverts for the film that will come out in six months or three months, when Jurassic world was done a couple of times ago, we did the, we did the pickups. We did the, we did that bit of music and we spent the morning recording some of John Williams's music from the original um, trilogy from the Jurassic park uh, movies um, with one of one of his conductors um, to something called streamers. So something in the movie business they used to use to get the music synced with the picture was a thing called streamers. So it's basically this this line moves across and that shows you where the the the, the beats are. And only the conductor gets to see the streamers. Like so karaoke can, where the words light up. <laughs> yeah, almost, yeah. And so so the streamers are put in place and then they so it's almost like they're watching the mo- they're watching the movie and trying to get in in sync with the with that so you get this the thing you get as a result of that is this lovely flex in the the band moving because that's you know what music used to do um and even you know lots of rock and roll you know you listen to stuff from the 70s and even the early 80s um the music flexes because they didn't use a clip track um and then in the afternoon we recorded uh Michael Giacconia, who did the the three um, subsequent films, um, and we recorded some of his music, but that was all on click. It was like, oh, this is easy. We don't even have to think about this. It was a very, it was a kind of interesting day. I mean, it was lovely to record all of that music again, or some of it again, and some of it for the first time. But it was that experience of being on and off click, kind of really, you know, being off click in with in a big room, you know, Abbey Road One with, you know. 80, 80 people in an orchestra. It's you know really odd experience, and also all that percussion's really rhythmical as well. If you listen to the theme from Jurassic Park, and you listen to what's going on in the the Tudor bells and the Glock, and the it's lots of like sixteenths, you know, and then it's not you know it's that's all interlocked, but then that's all sort of moving, and you're hearing the French horns on one side of you, and then slightly afterwards you're hearing the trumpets on the other side of you, but obviously the Decker tree, which sits above the conductor is capturing that whole thing. And it's all, you know, it's this beautiful, beautiful thing. So 
yeah, different different sort of skill. <laughs> wow. Do you know what? You've had, you know, you're a young guy and you've had this incredible career um, already. And, you know, who knows who knows what's ahead of you? Obviously, well, we know what's immediately ahead of you. You've got to get out and do this tour. <laughs> um, you know, Joby, what can I say? Thanks so much. This has been um, totally different to normal in, in, a, in a really good way. You know, um, as I say, it's normally just generally drummers. I don't mean just in a derogatory term, but... Um, <laughs> just offended every drummer watching and listening, but you get what I'm saying. It's nice to have uh, somebody a little bit different on, and you've given us a great perspective into what you do. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So look, yeah, best of luck with the tour and the new album, which is out on uh, the 30th of September. And it's a percussionist songbook, if I've got the title correct. Yeah, bang on, bang on. My songbook. (laughs) There we go. Yes, indeed. So look, thanks again, Joby. It's been an absolute pleasure and and best of luck with everything to come. Cheers. Fantastic. Thanks, man. Take care.